Um, yeah, being back, it's been good. As you know, my daughter lives close by and our granddaughter and uh, she's married and her husband's um, my son-in-law. I get on quite well with him. Um, he's never had any involvement with church at all. And um, he actually went to a Christian primary school, someone's Christian school at uh, Victor Harbour. And, um, but he's a, he's a pretty deep thinker and he's also a task-oriented person. He's a, he's a workaholic. Um, and, yeah, and he asked me good questions. He's one person that I can always count on to ask me good, good questions. And he says to me things like since being here and all the time he knows me, he says, Garth, how does a pastor work? Like, what are your hours? What do you do? When you go and be a pastor at a church, what does the church want of you? Is it a matter of just simply going drinking coffee or going visiting people? Because he says, that's not work. Like, he says, I don't understand what does a pastor do? What's a church want? And, you know, at times this is hard to answer because I said to him, every church is different and every church will call a pastor for a different reason. But his question has got me thinking and really challenged me in thinking about the new ministry I have here at Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. And these are the thoughts and that, that go through my head and I, I thank him. I said, look, you really challenged me in thinking starting a new ministry, starting a new church because every church is different. And I said, I have a desire to start well in ministry. You always want to start well. You know, if you don't start well, chances are you're doomed from the start. But I said, I also work hard and pray about continuing ministry well. A lot of people will come in and start well and then take a backward seat. But also I think one of the most important things as a pastor is you finish well. And, you know, I'm, I always, whenever I go into a position, I always think what I do day by day is there to finish well. I must finish well because I've seen pastors that don't finish well and it's not pretty. I've looked at other situations in life where they get a new CEO or a sporting club will get a new coach. When this happens, sometimes the business or club goes forward in leaps and bounds. There's a change overnight. Other times, a business or club from go to bad to worse quite quickly from having some new CEO or some new coach come in. And I want to say to you today, we're not a business. We're not even a club. We're a church. We are a church. But you know, the fact that we're a church is what does my head in when I stop and think about how do I do ministry well? How do I grow a church? How do I lead a church? Now, some of you may instantly think, oh, that would be easy. You've been doing this for 15, 20 years. You've been involved in four or five churches. Surely it's easy. Well, let me tell you, it's not. Being a pastor is not easy. In fact, I know many people have said leading a church is one of the hardest things you're called to do. I don't know if you do the National Church Life Survey here, but you know the data now shows that there are more pastors leaving the ministry today than ever in our history. And, you know, um, when churches apply for a pastor, there are less pastors out there trying to get jobs. Why is... Yeah. And then you get stuck with the lowlies. So why do I say leading a church is one of the hardest things to do? 
Well, it all comes down to that question, what is church? I've got a video for you. What is church? If I was to ask you all, what's the purpose of church? What is the purpose of why we do what we do? And I think this is one of the hardest things why the church is where it is today, why being a pastor is hard. What if I was to ask you, what's the purpose of a butcher shop? What's the purpose of a hairdresser? What's the purpose of a school? Chances are you would all give me the same answer. I mean, if I happen to see you walking into a butcher shop and I bump into you, I don't think for a minute I'd think you're there to buy a computer. I would know that you are there to buy some meat. Well, as I said, what if I went around the room and asked the question, what's the purpose of church? I think if I did that, even though you all attend the same church, even though you all attend quite regularly, I still think we would get different answers to that question of what's the purpose of church. Is that video still relevant? Is the purpose of church about setting up schools, giving out water? We are a church. What's the purpose of why we do what we do? What does all this mean? You know, for me, this is the one of the most interesting questions we can ever ask ourselves. What comes to mind when you think of church? Or more importantly, what comes to mind when you think of this church? Why do you go to this church? Do any of you drive past other churches to go to this church? Why do you do that? Why do you drive past other Christian churches to come to this church? Is coming to this church a joy? Do you wake up on Sundays and think, yay, I can't wait? Is it a chore? Do you think, oh, no, not Sunday again? Or do you come because, you know, we take a list of people who attend and if you get three strikes above your name, look out. Do you come because you feel you're going to get judged? Church conjures up all different types of thoughts and feelings for different people. Is church for believers or is church set up for non-believers? Matthew Henry once said church would be one of the only organisations in the world set up for its non-members. I've often heard the comment from Christians, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Ron Worsby says, if your faith won't get you to church on a Sunday, you've got to really ask yourself, do you think it'll get you into heaven? I've heard people say, why go to church? Churches are just full of hypocrites. So with these thoughts and comments, it's no wonder and it's no surprise that pastors are really struggling or pastors are leaving this ministry. I guess it's no surprise as well that this question, what is church, isn't new. Even when I went back to my, I got out my notes last week from the subject of church and ministry that I did at Tabor College way back in 1994. And one of our tutorial questions that we had to write out and present was, what is church? When I did this tutorial, I was surprised at what I found. Hardly ever in the New Testament do we ever see the church pictured as what we see the church in our Western world today. You don't see it. However, even with that said, one point comes out quite strong when you think about what is church. 
a point that she'd be no surprise to us all. The doctrine of church is central part of our Christian faith. It is up there. The doctrine of church is high. The church is important in God's plan for teaching and encouraging the saved, but it's also important in God's plan for reaching the lost. You know, the church has one major difference than any other Christian doctrine that we have. There is one thing that sets the doctrine of the church apart from almost every other Christian theology. So much of Christian theology is unseen. Think about it. The Christian theology that we study, most of it to the world is unseen. However, the church is the most visible part of Christian theology. The church is what our world sees. The church is the most visual part of Christian theology. So if this is true, then you understand that the church is vitally connected with every part of the Christian life. That's why it's so important to understand what is church. Our Christian life and the life of the church are so connected. So much so a healthy church will produce a healthy gospel. A distorted church will produce a distorted gospel. If the church isn't healthy, then the message it portrays is not healthy. I don't know if you've ever had to find a new church. When Michelle and I were in ministry, we moved around and um, we weren't pastoring then. But I know we often found it difficult to find new churches. I'm not sure if you've ever heard, had this problem. But let me ask, what do you look for? When you're looking for a church, what do you look for? We tend to look for things like, oh, were we welcomed? Was the singing or the songs good? What was the sermon like? What's the church's focus in the community? Now, I know these are important, but I came to learn there is one common major problem with this type of approach in trying to analyse a church that way. There's one big problem. That problem is me. I'm limited in what I can see. I can only see the church from my eyes. I can only see the church from the outside. Because of this, it's hard to evaluate or examine a church's ministry because we're doing it from our own eyes. Only the true head or cornerstone of the church can do this because he sees internally. So the starting point, I believe, in seeing any church or answering the question, what is church? You must realise the most important thing in a church is not its pastor. It is not its leaders. It is not what is sung on Sunday. It isn't the preaching. The most important thing of a church is what position does the church give the cornerstone of that church? Where does Jesus fit in to that church? So my PowerPoint's failed, but let's move on. What about the church in Scripture? As I said before, it's interesting to note that often the New Testament doesn't really, we don't see church pictured the way we have church in our world today. And, you know, it's an interesting thing about this church planning because I worked in the Aboriginal communities. And, you know, the ABMS had to go back and apologise to Aboriginal communities for planting churches a certain way in these communities. I have a painting at home or a drawing at home that these Aboriginals did for me on the problem of planting churches in Aboriginal communities. And out of that, ABMS, what it was back then, Australian Baptist, 
actually wrote a letter and apologised to Aboriginal communities because of what they did. So not too often in the New Testament do we see what we see here today and probably in 99% of churches in the Western world. But what's even more interesting with the church and Scripture, when it comes to the Old Testament, you don't find the word at all. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you find the word church or anything that vaguely even resembles it. However, it is from the Old Testament that we get our theology of church. You see, in essence, God's eternal plan has always been the same. What eternal plan am I talking about? God's desire to display his glory to the world. That's why God is there. He wants his glory shown to the world. But the Old Testament teaches his glory is not just displayed through individuals. Most times it's displayed through a corporate body. We see this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. In creation, God creates not one person but two, and they have the ability to produce more. In the flood, God didn't save one person. He saved a few families. In Genesis 12, God called Abram and promised that Abraham's descendants would be numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. In Exodus, God deals not only with Moses, but with the whole nation of Israel. Twelve tribes comprised of hundreds of thousands of people are there to show his glory. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he's given laws and ceremony that should be lived out by the groups of people to be followed. Why? To reflect the glory of God. Then throughout the rest of the whole Testament, we continue to see that God works with the nation of Israel as a whole corporate body, a whole corporate body chosen to reflect his glory. In the New Testament, the people of God are called the church for the first time. The word for church is ecclesia. I'm sure you're all aware in our modern society, the word church is probably not used to describe buildings or denominations. This Greek word is never used that way in the, Old Test in the New Testament. It's not used to describe a building. This word ecclesia is used 115 times actually in our New Testament, but it describes more than just a gathering of Christians. It is used in three different references, universal, local, and other meetings that aren't Christian. They are references. So when you take the Scripture as a whole, and you look at the topic of church, you can see from the example of community of the Old Testament and the meaning of this word ecclesia from the New Testament, Scripture presents us with a rich theology of what the church really should be. But Scripture also produces something better. When it comes to the church, there is one major point that connects the dots, so to speak, from the Old Testament to the New. And that connection is the richest. The connection is Jesus Christ. Taken in Scripture, we are presented with this truth. Christ is the fulfilment and all that the Old Testament Israel points to. And so now we have the church in Jesus. The New Testament church is Christ's body. The church is the body of God's people called by grace in Christ to glorify him together as they serve him together. Because of Jesus, the church is now a new creation. The church is the true fellowship of the people of God. And it is that fellowship of the people of God that Christians have accepted and entered the sovereign rule of God as they come together. So are you confused? Well, let me paraphrase it to make it even more simply. From a biblical point of view, this is the church. 
The church is made up of people who have committed their life to God, who have said yes to Jesus Christ and accepted him as their ruler. In their devotion to God as a church, they've been called to separate themselves from the world and then come together and have a living, loving union with one another that reflects the glory of God. I believe from a biblical standpoint, that's what church is. I believe God gave us the church with that purpose in mind. This gives us a good understanding why so many outside the church think we're nuts. Some people will say the church is out of touch. The church is second rate. The church no longer has purpose in our world. No direction, no relevance. The reason they think that is because they've never committed life, their life to God and accepted Christ as their ruler. However, God created the church with this purpose in mind. What we need to rediscover is that truth. We need to realise we are a church that God has established, that God has brought together. We need to realise everyone has a purpose in that establishment. Why do you drive past other Christian churches? Because I believe God wants you here. You don't choose to come here. God places his workers in his vineyard and he's free to do it any way he wants. We need to realise you and everyone around you has a purpose within the establishment of church. Everything we do and bring to the life of this church has a purpose and is worthwhile. That's why I said at the start it's important in God's plan we must try and understand what church is all about because the doctrine of church is central to the Christian truth. The church is not, is the most visible part of the Christian truth to the world. A healthy church produces a healthy gospel. A distorted church produces a distorted gospel. Now, let me finish with what I would say would be the hardest and most challenging part today. The church and you. As I said, the church is made up of people who have been called to be separated from the world, committed to their life to God and said yes to Jesus Christ and accepted him as their ruler. In their devotion to God as a church, they have a living, loving communion with one another. This is all done to reflect the glory of God. How are you going at that? Have you committed your life to God? Have you separated yourself from the world? Do you have a living, loving union with everyone around you in this church? How do you reflect the glory of God? Honestly, answering these questions will help you in your role in this church. It will help you understanding and answering the question, what's the purpose of church? What's the purpose of church for you? Why do you come? Knowing these things will help you get a grasp of that. As part of my application, I got sent an application for here. I was asked, what do I see is the role of the church? It's pretty standard. Almost every application now for a church has that question. What, where do you see the church? What's the role of the church? For me, the role of the church can be fitted into what I always call the three E's. This is what I answered on my paper. When anyone ever asked me about church, I said church falls in for me, just three E's. Empathy, equipping, and evangelism. Today, I want us to look at the real picture of our church and ask the hard questions. If church is about empathy, equipping, and evangelism, 
What do you do that brings purpose in those areas? If you agree with me, if you think that's what the church is about, what do you do to bring, to add to those purposes? Or even a bigger question, if that is the purpose of a church, can we achieve our purpose if we're only contributing 90 minutes a week to the life of the church? Can we really? God has called all of us to serve as a church together. What should that look like? We need to see the correct picture of church, the biblical picture. Otherwise, you're going to do damage. There are a lot of wrong pictures out there, wrong images, wrong ideas floating around of what the church should be like. Or there's a a lot of wrong ideas of what we should be doing. Well, I want to finish by giving you Talking about four teams. Four teams about to go and play a major game. Team one, I'm sure you've all seen churches like this. This team can be seen huddled together on the sideline before the game. Their heads bowed in prayer with the coach in the middle. Suddenly they give a great cheer and the coach trots out onto the field by himself. The other players go and sit on the bench. Now, you as the boundary rider, you've never seen this before. So you go up to the six-foot tank, who's normally the ruckman of the team, and you ask him, what's the coach doing out there? The tank replies, oh, he's going to play for us today. All by himself, you ask? Is that a good move? The tank says, sure, why not? He has a lot more experience and training than any of us. We've got a lot of rookies on our team. They might make mistakes. Anyway, the coach is the one who gets paid the big bucks to go over. So he, surely he should go over there and get out there and do it. But don't worry, we're all here to support him. And look at the huge crowd there. Of course, once the game begins and the umpire bounces the ball, any time the coach touched the ball and bravely charges up the field, the opposing team hit him and hit him hard. So within two seconds of the game, he's buried under the other team and then he's carried off, half unconscious. Team two, this team realises the enormity of the game before them. They realise the main thing that's going to help them isn't sending the coach out. They realise that the main thing that's going to get them over the line is to encourage and the support that they're going to give each other. And so they head out onto the field and they form a huddle and they begin to talk and encourage each other and psych each other up before the big game. They huddle and they huddle and they huddle. The umpire gives them a warning for delaying the game and says, if you don't hurry up, you're going to forfeit the game. But the team still huddles and huddles and huddles. The umpire calls warning after warning until finally the umpire makes the decisions, blows the whistle, and they forfeit the game. So the other team wins. The coach yells out his disappointment from the sidelines. What are you guys doing? But the captain yells back, hey, coach, This is the greatest huddle I've ever been a part of. What a group of guys we have here. We have the best huddle and fellowship I've ever had. Coach, some of these guys are amazing students of the game. Some of them have memorised over 100 plays that you've taught them. We've learnt so much in this huddle. But the coach shells back and asks them, but you didn't get out of the huddle. You didn't play the game. They respond, why should we? In the huddle, it's safe. It's comfortable. In the huddle, no one gets hurt and it makes us really feel good. Team three, 
this team brings each player out onto the field. They form a huddle. They don't speak to one another. And then before the game even begins, instead of going and lining up against the opposing team, they break into groups of two or three and begin arguing with one another. Soon they start shoving and actually getting into a fight with each other. And so the umpire stops the game and begins to report the players for fighting against each other. The coach runs out on the fields and asks one player, what's wrong? The player is walking off the field in disgust. He explains, these group of people, this team you've put me with, they're nothing but a bunch of complainers. They can never agree on anything. That group over there, they're arguing over the colour of the uniforms. That group over there, they're arguing over which way they should kick the ball. That group over there are arguing over which, which field positions we should be. And as you know, coach, I'm the best goal kicker here and they won't even put me on the forward line, so I'm out. Team four, also about to play a big game. They're all playing together. They're huddling, slapping each other on the back. They're psyching one another up, but they break away from their huddle. They go into their positions. Each player carries out his own assignment on the field and each player plays his own position. And as soon as a goal is scored, then another and then another, and you won't believe it, they win the game. Afterwards in the locker room, they're exhausted, they're bruised, but they're happy. They're joyful. I have seen these type of churches in everywhere. Team four is the model you want to follow. Today I've helped us see the real picture of what a church should be. I was hoping to have you come to a new understanding of what's the purpose of church. Why do I want that? Because God has called all of us to be a part of his team on the, in this church. God has given this church a pastor, elders, staff members, home group leaders. What's their role? Their role is to equip the members to do the ministry. That's their role. Never is the pastor or leaders meant to be carrying the ball on every play, doing all the work, trying to defeat the foe all by themselves. We are here to equip you. We are here to help you and you to us. So ask yourself today, am I doing my part? Am I really a part of this church? Am I helping to carry the load? Am I spending time listening to and supporting other believers within this church? Am I investing my time, my effort in accomplishing his mission for this church? Am I willing to let him work through me, not only on Sundays, but every day in my commitment to him and to the people of this church. John Maxwell says, in every church, they're made up of four main bones. You have the wishbones. They're the people that sit back and wish someone else would do something about the problem. He says, then we have the jawbones. They're the people that do a lot of talking, but very little else. And he says, then you have the knuckle bones. He said, those are the ones that knock everything sometimes even to the point of firing and stirring up aminosity. But he says, then you have the backbones. Those are the ones who carry the brunt of the load and do most of the work. He says, every church has those four bones. And he asks the question, which bone are you? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for our day. We thank you that um, 
we can come together as a family. We can come together as your workers. Father, I pray that as we come together um, on a Sunday, we would see what we do together as, as like a change room to be equipped to be ready to go out and to serve you in all our workplaces, in all our schools, in, in wherever we go, wherever we are, because that's the way church works. You call us together and be gathered, but then you scatter us into your vineyard. Father, help us to have that deep love and that really great thing that we read about before in Philippians 3. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.